Welcome back to the Connect the Dots podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Katie Fiedler. She is a connection that I actually made with Jenny Randall, who was back on episode 17. And Jenny does does some partnership with the ministry Open Arms in Kenya. And so she connected me with Katie and Katie is the U.S. Executive Director for Open Arms. And she also has her own business, uh, which is a an events business, which is Epic Events Global. And she is just an amazing person. I tell you, I learned so much from just our very first conversation together, then listening back to it um, as I was editing the podcast, I just I got so much more out of it. She brings such a fresh perspective to so many things, especially during this time. We actually recorded this podcast in April, so at the kind of the early stages of COVID and the shutting down and sheltering in place and that kind of stuff. But even the things that we talked about then just resonate so much louder now. And I can't wait for you to get to know Katie. And I know that you are going to enjoy this conversation. So let's just go ahead. Let me roll the intro and we'll get right into it. You're listening to the Connect the Dots podcast with me, Heather Balseric. This show is designed to help you navigate your career, understand your customer's experience, and bring us together as we learn more about our communities. So tune in, turn it up, and get ready to connect the dots. All right. So Katie, if you, if you will get us started and just tell us about you and your kind of your journey uh, to, to where you are now. Yeah, I'm Katie Fiedler and I am um, really excited to be with you today. Heather is just wonderful. The things that you're doing to inspire people in their careers and understanding more about how they can make an impact with their lives and fulfill their destiny through their jobs. And I have always believed that, um, my career is also my ministry. I used to think that it had to be one or the other. I either had to be like out in the mission field serving someplace, or I needed to be in an office um, serving a corporation someplace. And it was probably 20 years ago where the Lord really revealed to me, oh, Katie, no, it's all one thing. Everything you do, whether it's family, career, ministry work, it's all one thing. And I finally gave up fighting that feeling that I wasn't serving the Lord if I was working in a corporation or worth, worth, uh, or not, you know, not on the road, you know, in mission fields. Um, so for me in my journey, getting to where I am, um, of course, it's, it could be a long story. It actually could be a mini series. Um, it could be a lifetime month long special. I, I have so many stories I could tell about getting here. Um, but uh, basically I had a major life experience when I lost my mom and I was 36 years old. Uh, she was 2000, she died in 2001 and, uh, it was just before nine 11. So when that happened, she was my best friend. My parents were um, in ministry together. I grew up in a really large church and um, my mom was just everything to me. And 
I was working for a very large um, science museum and I was the vice president of development. And uh, while I love the museum and I really enjoyed my work there, I was so privileged to watch my mom pass away. And it was just precious to me that uh, God allowed me uh, literally eight weeks from the day we found out she was sick until she passed away to spend time with her and watch all of the people that were coming to say goodbye to her. And because she was too sick to visit with them, I got to visit with them. And I heard over and over the impact my mom made on their lives. And she was 57 when she passed away, way too young and had way too many things that I thought God was going to do with her. And um, it changed the course of my life, Heather. I just stopped and I thought, gosh, if I was dying and people were talking about me, would they be saying these same things that I had a major impact on their life? And I wasn't confident that I was. And so it made me stop and evaluate what I was doing. And that was really what set the course of the next uh, journey in my career. So I was 36 then. I'm, I'm 55 now. And um, I've come such a long way. I decided I really wanted to use a lot of my passion for international ministry, my passion for planning events, um, which was a gift that, I, that God had given me, um, my passion for really helping people tell their stories and market their stories. And I have a, a really great knack for listening to a lot of different ideas and thoughts and visions, and then pulling it all together in a workable plan. And so when I was looking at my life and figuring out what I wanted to do, I just thought, I need to write my own job description. Like this doesn't exist anywhere. I really need to sit and write my own job description. I felt like the Lord encouraged me to do that. And so um, in the course of that journey, I did um, meet the founders of Open Arms International. And so I got involved with them back in 2005. And that's a, a very long miracle story in itself. But what I would encourage people to do is when you are in those moments where you have a divine discontentment with what you're doing, sit down and take note of that divine discontentment and write your own job description. If you could do anything you wanted to do, what would it be? And so God snatched me out of the science museum and dropped me literally into this budding ministry, Open Arms International. And at the time, uh, they were taking lots of teams over to uh, Europe and Africa, and I left my staff of 13 people and went to work in this couple's home <laughs> that founded an organization. And it was really interesting to become everything from having a marketing department and a group of people that would be doing things for you and with you. I literally was by myself because they were traveling all the time. But it was a great time for me to hone skills, understand how to work alone how to work with the Holy Spirit, really, and not knowing what to do um, and really relying on him to help me make plans and, and do the things I thought would be best for the ministry. So it was a good time of growth for me. Um, in 2008 is when I felt, I felt that divine discontentment again. And I felt like, I don't think I want to continue to be on staff at Open Arms International. I think I really would like to open my own uh, company. 
And so I did. And I started Epic Events Global in 2008. And I have a meeting and events conference uh, planning company, but I also do fundraising events for nonprofits. And I have this passion to work with nonprofits and help them, but also do something that would help me pay the bills better than nonprofit relationships do. Because <laughs> you want to give it all away, right? You just do. You want to give it all away. But I had to, I had to earn some money. <laughs> so um, my balance of working with corporations in helping them produce meetings and conferences and large-scale events um, helps me give a greater service at a, a great discount to nonprofits that need the same type of help and expertise but don't have the budgets to support that. So I've been doing that on my own since 2008. And um, of course, where we're at today with the virus and all of that, it's completely um, devastated that part of my business. But um, I did retain Open Arms International as a client. So when I went out on my own, uh, they retained me to do fundraising events and work alongside them. And it was almost two years ago that I came in as their executive director as a special project because they were in between um, EDs and I have a lot of history with the organization. And so I could use my gifts and skills in helping the organization right now with some much needed leadership. So that's, that's a, that's a lot, but you can edit stuff out of there that you, <laughs> that you think is interesting. <laughs> There's so much I could say. No, um, I, I'm fascinated by it. And, and I just, I get, I get really zoned in and just, I love to, to listen to people's stories because I just learned so many things. And I really like the phrase that you use that divine discontent, like that, the, the discontentment. And Gosh, like it just, and I know you told me you listened to a couple of podcasts, so you know that I, I cry a lot. <laughs> so um, I, I do uh, because it just, it's, it's one of those things. Like when you were talking about your mom, you know, I'm about to be 36. Um, and oh, so wow. like, like that resonates with me. And, you know, the way that you talked about her reminded me of my grandmother um, he passed away a couple of years ago and my stepfather that passed away, um, six or eight months before that. And just being there at the, at the end and just thinking, having that thought about what's that legacy that, that I want to leave and, and, and feeling that, um, that pull in, in so many directions. And, and I, I remember I, I felt that before too. Um, and that's, that's kind of one of the, the things that made me start this podcast is, is that feeling like there's just more on my heart that, that I'm meant to share. Um, and I have such a passion for um, helping people grow and find their path and, you know, build themselves, you know, to, to find like what they want to do. And um, especially like, people that are in high school and in college. Um, I have, I, for some reason, like that's, that's a part, like that's the biggest group that my heart like goes out to right now because there's so the world is changing so fast, but despite COVID, 
<laughs> just the world in general changing so fast in how you find jobs and how you put yourself out there and, and the ways that you do put yourself out there, you have to be careful <laughs> sometimes and teaching them about that and, and having that kind of understanding that path. So just, I know there's a lot of things that went a lot of different places, but just, just know for me, your story resonated with me and, and I love it. So oh, I, I want to just dovetail into what you said about the youth. I, I, ha I feel that same way. I feel such a care and concern for what's happening with young people. And my kids are 30 and 32 and now they have my, both of them are married. I have a, a son and a daughter and my daughter's the, the one that has the kids and they're um, five and nine. And I just have such a pull to be a major influence in their life because the world is more confusing than ever. And I have this really unique opportunity since we're talking about loss. Um, I lost my husband at the end of December. We were vacationing on Kauai and he had a, a massive stroke on December 22nd. It was the day we were supposed to leave and go home. And um, he didn't recover from it. And he passed away on December 26th while we were on the island. And so I'm at this crossroads again in my life where everything is turned upside down. And now with the COVID thing and my, um, my events business is now like, okay, when is that coming back? <laughs> when is going to happen? I have no idea what's going to happen. And it's just interesting. Uh, there, there's some wonderful things that happened um, during his passing and he loved the Lord. We were married for almost 34 years. I miss him desperately. And, um, and at the same time that his passing taught me a whole lot in that every day when he was on a ventilator and not conscious and we didn't know like what was going to happen, my brain, cause I'm a planner was going to, okay, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. If this happens, then I'm going to do this. And I would exhaust myself with all of these plans, which none of those plans came to pass. You know, I, I wasted a lot of time and energy trying to figure something out that it was, I could not figure it out. And I'm feeling the, the same thing that I did when he was dying and that God would just settle me and go, Katie, today, today he's being taken care of by professionals. Today, you can rest and know that people are praying for you around the world and hugging you and just let people hug you. Don't worry about what's going to happen next. It's all going to be okay. I have a good plan. Today, you're okay. Today, you're safe. Today, everything's okay. I just kept putting myself in that position. And now with all of the COVID thing and all the crazy and everything turned upside down, I'm just continuing to repeat that, so, that same thing to myself. Today, Katie, you're, you're okay. You're, you have a house. You, you know, you're able to pay your bills. I know not everybody is. <laughs> um, but just focusing on the things um, that are in the moment that help you to stay sane and not try and plan too far ahead because you don't know the ways in which God is going to show up and orchestrate the most incredible story that you'll be able to share. And when Easter was coming, I was thinking about um, the Passover, the first Passover, 
and the families that were told to go in their homes and put blood on their doorposts. And there were probably two types of families. One went in, enjoyed their meal, enjoyed each other, relaxed, and then really believed and rested in the fact that it was going to be okay. And then there were the families that were freaking out, couldn't enjoy their meal, just hid, were terrified. And both families had the same result. They were both passed over. Everything was, was okay. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. But the experience was up to the families. So the experience is up to me. You know, how, how do I want to ride out this incredible uncertainty in life? I can either panic and worry and crawl in a corner and cry. And sometimes I feel like doing that. Or I can just know God's got a good plan. It's going to be okay. And his history with me is so precious. He's so faithful. I can look back and he's so faithful. And it doesn't take a lot of extra faith or hope or belief for me to look back and see his faithfulness in my life and take that into the future and go, what you've done for me in the past, you're going to do for me in the future. I'm going to be okay. Life's going to look different, but I'm going to be okay. And I feel such a, a compulsion to be with my grandbabies right now and have that influence and really be a demonstration of who God is and will be and can be for them because the world is so confusing and he's our steady, he's our rock, he's our foundation, no matter how horrible things look, he's the steady. So I'm, you know, I'm again at this time in my life where I'm going to sit down and like write my job description again, even though I don't want to give up on events or anything like that. I love what I do. I love working with um, people to bring people together. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. We need each other. I think yeah. this whole time is showing us we love community. We yeah. love meeting together. We want our conference content in person. We want to sit with people. Church, I mean, okay, yes, I, I'm loving going online and seeing my pastor. But it's not the same as sitting with the congregation. It's not the same watching him speak and and he he's not getting any reaction from the audience. It's It's horribly isolating. And so we're not going to stop meeting together. It's, it'll look different, but I love that this time is showing us how much we need each other. I, that was, that was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That was so beautiful, Katie. Just, oh man. Okay. Shouldn't have put mascara on today. (laughs) (laughs) I stopped, I stopped wearing mascara. (laughs) I have, you know, in this grieving process, I will be fine one moment and then I'll open a box and I'm in the process of moving. And after I'm done with you, I have um, some friends who are social distancing doing this, but they're helping me pack up my house because I'm moving. And, um, I, I just, I, I just have to let tears come when they come and, um, wearing a whole lot less makeup being at home too, getting used, yeah. <laughs> getting used to that as well. <laughs> But I, you know, I've just learned how um, people, because I'm a very strong individual in the sense that I'm a power through, take it by the horns and just wrestle it down until it submits. 
and I have learned so much from friends and dear people that are therapists in my life um, that crying is so healthy and it literally carries toxins out of your body. And if you don't do it, you do yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. And so I think your tears are so beautiful, Heather. You're probably, you know, more healthy than most of us that try and repress that just in the name of being strong. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget in the sixth grade, um, it was my social studies teacher. Her name was Miss Spragans. And she was just this wonderful, wonderful woman. And she told me one day, like I was just going through a hard time. Um, and she, she told me, she said, Heather, sometimes you just got to cry and that's okay. (laughs) You know, like she was, it's okay. Don't worry. Sometimes you just got to cry. And, and I'll just never forget being like, I was 12 years old. And at that point had gone through like two years prior. Um, I had a sister that had passed away when she was born. And then my mom had just had another, like had my brother. And so, you know, there was just a lot, you know, for, for 10, 12 year old, that's a lot to process. Um, And so it was just still like, still everything was so new with, and she just, she just saw that in me and she was just like, Hey, like, it's okay. It's okay to cry. And, and so I've, you know, I'm never usually afraid to cry in front of anybody. Uh, (laughs) so, um, you know, most of my bosses have seen me cry. Sorry, bosses. You know, it's just, it's, and it's usually not, it's usually, it's just my, I don't know, for some reason it is my go-to emotion of whether I'm happy or sad or overwhelmed. That's just how my body responds. And, and you're right. It's, it is just cleansing yeah. to let it out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, truly. Um, you said something in there and I've got to go back and remember. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm so sorry to hear about your husband, Katie. That's, I can't oh, imagine. Sucks. Um, yeah. Um, I watched my, my mom, like I said, my step, my my stepfather passed away in 2016. Yeah. 2016. And just, he was in poor health for several years. And there were many times that we got like the call. Okay. We don't know if he's going to make it. He got better. We don't know if he's going to make it. He got better. Like we, we would joke that he had like nine lives. <laughs> like, you know, you yeah. almost died so many times throughout his entire life. Um, and then just like uh, ATV accident, he had a motorcycle accident, you know, just some, like crazy things. And then when he got sick and then, you know, so it's, it's almost like we prepared so many times that this could happen. Mm-hmm. And then when it was, when it was like, okay, this, this is, this is it. And that just, you know, I was there. Um, I was there with my mom. Mm. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. It just, I think about it all the time, but I think mm-hmm. about too, the man that he became. Um, Cause he was a different person from the person I grew up with. He became my stepfather when I was eight. Mm. Um, and he's really, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a good relationship with my father now. 
Um, we, we've had our times, but you know, my, my stepfather was, he was my, he, you know, he raised me and we had some very tough years <laughs> in there, um, when he was trying to manage his diabetes and, and different things like, you know, it just, it would just take over and he would get, you know, mood swings and all this. And so finally, you know, now when I was in my twenties and when he started going into, he had to have dialysis, so he's going into kidney failure. Like he really started to change the way his outlook on life back to, back to the Lord and, and back to, you know, how, how he has done so much for him in his life. And, and the person that he was at the end was just, he was a person that loved life. He lived every day, you know, to just, you know, to, to go out and, and to be with people and, and to make people happy. He loved to make people laugh. And so like, I just, I think about that stuff all the time and, you know, and it was just, you know, it was hard, but, but at the same time we knew because his illness had been so long that he was, he was better. He was whole. Mm-hmm. You no, know, and and so mm-hmm. even you know it wasn't it wasn't quick, and sometimes I don't know if it if there's there's neither way is good. <laughs> neither way is no, good. It's hard. Well, my husband had a he had a stroke on December twenty second, two thousand seventeen, and he was a general contractor. He lost his whole left side, and then he really worked hard to get it back. He worked so hard, Heather. I was so proud of him. But he had to give up his company and he was basically my house husband and he was an excellent one. Oh my golly. Cook, clean, take care of things. And, um, but his left side never really did serve him well again. And he was really depressed and it was very difficult for him. You know, man's man, strong and healthy before all of that happened. And he was so, I called him my producer. He was so happy to give me every tool I needed, whether it be an iWatch or a new thing for my office, a desk that would work better, a computer screen that would serve me better. I mean, he just was so good at being behind the scenes and doing all that needed to be done. And I travel a lot um, for work. So the events that I do are literally all over the world. And I was leaving him home a lot. And um, feeling very concerned about that, you know, that he was alone a lot in his own depression. He was very isolating too um, at that time because he just felt like he didn't have anything to give anybody. And it was just hard to really watch him deteriorate. And I know he was feeling like he was holding me back, that I was vibrant and healthy and, you know, had so much that I was doing out in the world. And even though he was 100% supportive and so proud of me, it was hard. It's hard to be left behind. And so that was a tension in our relationship that was, it was fine that it was there. We were working through it, but I just felt sad for him and he felt very depressed and lonely as well. Um, so the stroke that he had when we were in Kauai was literally Heather. It was the same day, December 22nd. And we had, um, been calling December 22nd, his stroke anniversary. <laughs> so the first stroke anniversary, I said, I don't, we don't want to be home. I don't, because you had the stroke at home. I don't want to be home. Let's be someplace else. And so I said, where do you want to go? And he said, well, let's go to Kauai. 
So we did. So we had his first stroke anniversary on Kauai. had a wonderful time. And then, um, so this year I said, well, where do you want to go for your second stroke anniversary? He said, I want to go back to Kauai. So, All right, <laughs> we'll go back to Kauai. We had the most wonderful week. It was just, it was precious. And, um, the, the day that he had his stroke, we, it was a Sunday and we were, um, really enjoying, um, a church service online. Um, and he was soaking in this church service and I just, we sat there and cried for a while. And I said, you know, going into this year, I just, I'm so, I'm so scared about what's going to happen next. Like I just get scared. Are you, are you going to, are you going to have another stroke? Is something going to happen? What, you know, I just live with this fear all the time and I don't want to be fearful anymore. I want to, I want to be able to just be at peace with whatever happens. And he's so cute. He goes, how do you think I feel like I'm living in this dysfunctional body? I don't know what it's going to do either. But, um, I felt like back to what you're saying about your stepdad, I, I feel like his ultimate wish was to go home. And he talked about it a lot. And he said, I just don't know what my purpose is anymore. And he really lost a passion for, for, for life and his purpose. And while I miss him desperately, all the prayers that we prayed for his perfect healing, he got his perfect healing. And I'm, I'm so glad for him on that account. I truly, truly am. And um, I... I because I grew up in a pastor's family, um, unanswered prayers are really hard for people who have been in ministry, grew up in ministry, and you feel like you should have all the answers. And oftentimes the answer just is, God, I trust you. And I have confidence that life is better with you than without you. And I don't want to lose the one thing that I know is constant in my life and won't change. And that is you are faithful. No matter what it looks like, I can believe you're faithful. And it, this time in my life, again, having this major incident is helping me take pause and say, okay, am I on track with doing everything that God has destined for me to do before I leave this earth? You know, my mom was 57 when she passed away. I'm 55. And if I only had two more years, not saying that I do, and I don't, I don't think that way every day, you know, but it does make me think if I had two more years, gosh, what would I do with those two years? Mm -hmm. And, um, so now I'm, I'm looking at my life in, in that way, you know, let's, let's write a job description that sets me on this course as a single person. Heather, I've never even lived by myself. Like I literally went from my college dorm room to getting married, to moving in with my husband. <laughs> I never lived alone. It's so crazy. But, um, but God's just revealing such a great plan every day. And I'm, um, I'm so grateful for that. And I know he's my, I literally wrote a, um, my own life statement, which was to travel the world, encouraging and evangelizing people. That's just my life statement. So no matter what job I'm doing, no matter what I'm being paid to do, that's the core of who I am. And if I'm spending my time doing that, then I know I'm on the right track. And that's another thing I think you can encourage people to do is what, what's your life mission statement? And not, not getting fancy with it. You need the, 
the five-step vision plan for the next five years of your life. What's your vision statement? What's your mission statement? Not, not that corporate, but just that, that soul of who God sent to earth. This spirit that was sitting in heaven that God designed so uniquely for this specific time in history, what's the core of you that you were designed to do? And that I think is so worth spending time doing and boiling it down into a sentence so that when you feel confused or you're looking around and going, am I really doing the right things? Did, did I make a right choice there? If you can go back and say, okay, I'm doing these things. I'm doing these core things. Yeah. Yeah. may not look the way I thought it might, but that's okay. It, it is doing these things that I know that I'm destined to. And, the other thing I came up with too in my thoughts were if I, if what I'm doing brings me great joy and also serves a need in somebody else, that is a clue to your destiny. That's a clue to what you were designed to do. When you get such great joy doing it and somebody else gets a great need met, then man, that's, that's the golden ticket right there. And it looks different for different people. You know, my um, getting into missions a little bit, I've, I've um, taken 27 trips to India and I've taken almost 200 people to India to do different service things from working in the red light districts to sitting in villages and helping people in medical camps and all kinds of different things where I've been around great tragedy and illness and death and dying and, um, I love doing that, and it's because God gave me such a grace to do it. I, I will get on a plane and do 36 hours of hard travel to get someplace to the middle of nowhere and, and be with people. Not everybody has grace for that, yeah. and, and I don't judge anybody who thinks I'm insane <laughs> for, <laughs> for loving that, you know. Um, I love doing that, and... Um, there are other things that people are designed to do that God has just given them such a grace to have the patience, to have the fortitude, to sit and be educated and learn the skill. And when it, when it flows and it's, and, and obviously it's not always easy. You got to put time into developing your skills. I didn't, you know, start out, 25 years ago, being an awesome event planner. I am now, <laughs> or a mission team leader. You know, that took me a lot of time to learn how to take people overseas, navigate all of their fears, help them discover their passions and why they were there. Cause that's always a big question. Why am I here? <laughs> what, what am I why did I get on a plane and come up? What am I doing here? Helping dig all that out of people and help them process that is such a it's a wonderful gift. And all of us get to do that in our own arenas of expertise. You know, you as a career um, counselor and someone who is helping people figure out life, that's where the fun comes in. That's where you can really dig in and mine that gold out of people. You know, what, what are you willing to do hard work for? Because it's a passion for you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, going on a mission trip is something that I have always wanted to do. Um, I've the only 
um, I guess mission mission type trip I've done when I was um, right after I graduated high school um, myself um, and my um, boyfriend at the time and then another couple and our youth director we rented a van and we went on a faith trip where we we just we had no destination we just God's gonna lead us where he needs us and like now it is, this is in 2002. You could not, do, I don't know how you could do this nowadays. It probably would not be safe. I don't know how our parents let us do this. Uh, <laughs> they trusted our youth director very That's much. Awesome. Um, but we, we had, you know, we, we took a little money with us and we had a credit card just in case, like just, you know, parents were like, Hey, you need to make sure that, you know, youth director can get you home. Um, but we had, you know, enough cash for dinner that night and breakfast the next morning and we said whatever was left we left on the table as the tip and god would take care of us and we ended up in sykeston missouri um and we we went to breakfast and we asked we told the lady what we're doing hey here's what we're doing and so she said oh well, there's this pastor at this little church. They have a thrift store. Maybe they need some help. And Katie, this church was the tiniest church. Like we passed these big churches. We passed all kinds of stuff. This church was so tiny and it had a little thrift store that helped support the church. And so we went there, we found, we finally found it and we, went in and we talked to the lady that was there and she said, Oh, hold on. The pastor's on his way. You know, just give, give us 30 minutes. And so we waited on the pastor ends up, they were having a fish fry that weekend, like two days, like two days from then. Um, and so they needed help getting the church ready. And so we stayed and we cleaned the church and we, we helped out at this fish fry. They took up an offering for, I mean, we didn't go without a meal. We didn't go without a shower. We had they let us sleep in the church. I mean, we were taken care of and they took up an offering at the fish fry for us. We had enough to get a hotel room on our way back home and for food. Just. Oh, talk about a faith <laughs> journey that just cemented your ability to believe that yeah. God it will show up. You let him do it. You just yeah. let him do it. I love that. Yeah, it was. That's awesome. Yeah, I was 18 years old and, wow. you know, it was just, it was incredible. And I would just, you know, I, I've done other things like, you know, like close to home, you know, helping people and stuff like that. But yeah. I just, I, you know, it, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to go and, and help. Um, and so hopefully one day I, I can make that happen. <laughs> I hope so too. I, yeah. I can't wait for borders to open up again. Mm -hmm. I'm drinking from my Puerto Vallarta cup because <gasps> I was supposed to go to Puerto Vallarta next week and Guadalajara for a site visit for a client. <laughs> I'm just I'm so sad. And now we don't even know if we can do this conference. The conference isn't until September, but I can't wait to get on the plane again. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just, I hate being housebound. Yeah. Um, well, let me tell you about um, open arms some more um, so that I make sure I get the open arms part in here. You can, and you can use whatever you want, obviously. Um, um, but I do want to make sure that I honor the reason why you <laughs> wanted to talk to me. 
So Open Arms International has a beautiful village in Eldoret, Kenya. There's 54 acres and we have uh, 10 children's homes and there's a school and a medical resource building. Um, we've got a really unique way of rescuing and raising kids. And we are very embedded in the community and are the number one resource when children are orphaned or abandoned. And we do our best to take in everybody that we can. Sometimes it's difficult and we don't always have the resources, um, but we can foster temporarily and then get them back in the community once our child welfare department researches and finds a safe place for a child to go. Um, we do offer those sorts of services as well. Um, it's, a, it's just a gorgeous place. And if people are interested in doing trips over to Kenya, it is one of the, the safest, cleanest, um, I, I'm, I wanna say easy, easy is relative to people's <laughs> comfort levels, but um, the, it's clean, it's comfortable, it's safe. You know, it's a, it's a very good way. If you're going to start doing an international missions trip, this is a way to ease yourself into it. And so when visitors come, they stay on property. We have guest lodges for them and safe meals are cooked with clean water available. All the comforts are there for you. And, and you live amongst the kids and the families that are there on property, which is really a great joy. Um, our goal is really to help raise children as Kenyan as we possibly can in this foster environment. We have 141 kids that are on property right now, and they all have a Kenyan mom and dad. They're divided into homes with about 13 to 16 per home. We have a baby home where new babies come in, and once they're potty trained, then they can be um, taken in by one of the families that has room for a toddler in their home. Um, we do um, have a number of children that have been with us for over 10 years and are now exiting out into their communities. So our goal is to help set them up for success, whether it's a career school or whether it's going to college. Um, it gets a little trickier when they get older, but we always work with them for an individualized plan. As people are here in the States, not everybody wants to or is interested in going to college right. or it just physically isn't possible uh, for them to go. And so where we can do career training, um, lots of things to do on the village property as they're growing up because we have a dairy and a chicken farm and um, agricultural projects going on. There's lots of projects to do around the village for sure. So the, the kids all um, grow up understanding what it's like to put your hands to something and, and do work. But um, as we all kind of flounder when we turn 18 and leave the nest, you know, they make their own choices and some, some come back and um, need help again. And some are married and starting their own families. And, you know, like any family, all those stories are there. Um, how the COVID-19 crisis is impacting our village, we had to go into shutdown about three weeks ago, almost a month ago now, where um, we bought up about three months worth of um, dry goods, as many supplies as we could. Um, the high school kids that were in boarding school, some of them were going to school outside the village. Everybody was brought, brought back in and have been quarantined ever since. And so um, it's been like all of us a little stir crazy, although they have 54 acres to roam around. So that's pretty good <laughs> space. Um, <laughs> um, you know, life, life for them is, is just as 
stir crazy there, you know, as it is for us here and their school is shut down the schools on the property. And so there's friends that come from outside um, that live in the community to go to school there. And so, you know, they're missing each other. They're missing life as normal as we do too. Um, The other thing that's challenging because it is a developing country, um, getting supplies is becoming tougher. Um, Price gouging goes up. Um, the fear that's in the community, even though there's not very many cases, and thankfully everybody at the village is healthy, we acted really fast. Um, there's still a lot of fear just in the community, and um, the village has had to lay a number of people off because um, all of the teams that we bring over, they bring funding with them. You know, funds come over mm-hmm. to pay for their lodging and all. You know, the staff and things that take care of them while they're there. But with all of our teams canceling, that's um, tens of thousands of dollars that are not going over to the village. So we've had to lay off people, and that's very, very difficult when already the employment unemployment rate in Eldoret, Kenya is about 65%. So now we're releasing more into that population, and they don't have unemployment resources. The government doesn't help them. So we've had to make some really gut-wrenching decisions over the past several weeks, um, just to get ourselves pared down to where the U.S. office can send enough funds um, based on the big adjustment in the fundraising that we find ourselves in right now, and also based on just the services they can do at the village right now. Everything's pared down to the basics, so the budget has to reflect that as well. So it has been, for me as a leader in this organization, a very, very stressful time trying to figure out how to keep everything running, how to pivot all of our fundraising plans for this year because, you know, we had a whole development plan. We all had plans, didn't we? We all had (laughs) 20 that looked really spectacular. And (laughs) so did Open Arms. We had so many plans and great campaigns we were going to run and all of that. Everything was thrown out the window. So as everyone else in our world right now is doing, we're having to change the way we're communicating with our donors, what we're fundraising for, how we're doing our asks, um, being sensitive to the fact that, you know, like us, everybody is looking at their own finances and going, yeah, can I really continue to help support that child any longer? Can I, and people are having to make some hard choices and we understand that. Um, so Earlier, I was talking about when you're working alone, the opportunity is to really have God be your business partner. I've always, like my husband and I always said, you're the CEO here because we've both been self-employed for a long time. You're the CEO here. You're, you're the first one that gets all the credit, all the glory, but you're the first one we're seeking when we, <laughs> we got a big question. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, it's that partnership. When you can develop that partnership with the Holy Spirit, and your team is operating under that unity, we, um, we have seen just some brilliant ideas come out of our group. And so every morning at eight o'clock, um, we get on a Zoom call and we pray together as a team. And we have been ever since we've been sheltered at home, which has been several weeks now. Um, we just get together as a team and literally, I mean, talk about open arms, open hands, open minds, open everything. God, what do you want to do with us? Because we're all 
we're all called to lead in some capacity. And so what I tell the team is, okay, you are, I may be your executive director. You might look to me as a leader, but you all are leaders in your own areas of expertise. I can't do what you do and you, I can't do what you do. So all of you are leaders in your respective areas. So I'm looking to you to lead in your social media campaigns. You lead in the communications we're doing via email. You lead in the phone call campaigns that we're doing. That's your area of expertise. And let's let God all speak to us individually about our creative plans and bring those together. And it has, it's really worked beautifully. Like we've thrown every written plan out the window and God wrote a new one that we're just following as the days unfold and trusting that he has a great plan. He's got a great plan for these kids. He's got a great plan for all of the downsizing we're having to do. I had to lay off two people on our staff. It's terrible. The minute I, I can, I will bring them back. But um, we've had to make really hard choices. Um, I just call it, um, my friend gave me this term, actually. I'll credit her with it. Um, but she said it's like having decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally feel that way. I just have decision fatigue because every area of our lives is being altered. And for me, having to work through a death and be a single person and my business falling apart and then this organization that's needing help and kids in crisis and making decision after decision, like it, it, it just gets exhausting. And that's where just stopping and really understanding what, what is God saying about this particular moment in time? And I do okay. Sometimes I just have to go, okay, I don't have to make that decision today. That decision mm-hmm. is for next week. I can stop and just make my short list. We all, well, most of us, I love a good checklist. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we're in a time right now where you just, you can't make a checklist that's thorough enough. That's going to take you far enough to be confident that your plan is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, I agree. Um, I, I, you know, there is so much that I have learned from this conversation. And I know when I go back and, and kind of get it, pull this all, all together for, for fi- the final, you know, show, I know I'm just going to learn twice as much as I just did because you just you gave so much and I just I know I feel like I didn't hardly I didn't hardly ask you any question I literally asked you one question off of my <laughs> list you answered every question so, oh good but, you know, good. Um, but I, I feel like I've literally asked you one question and just the conversation went went in such the right direction um in the twists and turns that it did um and so you, you talked about, you, you got the, um, was it Epic Global Events? Is that what? It's Epic Events Global. Epic Events Global. Mm-hmm, All right. So Epic Events Global. And so I, I love events. Um, I, I used to do event planning for a company I worked for, and it was one of my favorite things to do. And it's so much fun. I would get to do um, our awards banquet and our all hands meetings. Just the best, the best feeling ever when you see people come in and like everything's pulled together. Yes, it is. 
I um, love that. And people just enjoying, you know, just sitting back and watching people enjoy what you did. I love that. Yeah. Yep. It's in, in, you know, right now, um, you know, I've only been to, I guess, I guess I've been to two conferences. Um, I, I went to, um, uh, I sold, um, uh, unique makeup for a minute and they had a conference in new Orleans and I love new Orleans. So I was like, Oh, I'll go. <laughs> so I've yeah. been to that. Uh, but like, like development conferences, I went to Blistem this past year and, and it was so amazing. And that was the first kind of personal development type conference that, that I'd been to. And so then I'm I now signed up for another one that is normally in person, but now it's online really interested to see how this plays out. Um, I feel like I live in the online world working at home all the time, but, um, you know, going to a conference online is going to be interesting on how that plays out. I mean, I think it is doable, but it's also like, okay, how, you know, how I'm interested to see how it's going to work. Um, because I think that it's something it's going to be part of the new normal. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get away from having in-person things. We can't like that connection. Like you said at the beginning, it's, it's needed. It's wanted. We've got to continue. We can't be scared of that. There are risks when you walk out the door every Mm -hmm. single day. And yes, I think people over time, hopefully will continue to really assess and believe that no matter what I do, there's going to be a risk. And yes, we need to be responsible and do our best to try and keep people safe. And the events industry has to deal with that all the time. You know, there's Mm -hmm. fire marshal rules and regulations we have to follow for every floor plan we put together. There's safety and health regulations for catering, all the food that we have to do, you know, right down to all the production teams with the audiovisual, everything, every cord needs to be taped down, trip hazards, all, you know, all kinds of things. I think there will be a new layer of health regulations that will come over us. And so we're all in the industry waiting to see what is this going to look like and how do you communicate with your attendees that you have taken this into account and they can trust that if they come, they will see this level up in this personal health protection that we've layered in. Um, I don't know if you've ever traveled internationally and they, they walk through the planes with, um, these fog thing. They're like flea bombs for planes. So I, I've come from a number of countries where this is needed, but they literally walk through the plane with like flea bombs and they spray the entire plane and defumigate it. I mean, they just, from whatever you might be carrying on your person from mm-hmm. where you're taking off from and trying kill anything that could be living, um, and shouldn't be. So they, um, I don't know, they, they've devised these different systems. I just wonder, like, are you going to have to go through this decontamination, decontamination chamber before you walk into your keynote session? Right. Are we now, instead of trying to pack everybody in a room and zip tie all the chairs together, are we now going to have to have a foot between the chairs? Are we going to have to have mass that people wear? I, I mean, my mind can go crazy trying to think of all these regulations they're going to bring in, but it, it, it really is going to be this trust factor. Like how can the conference meeting planner 
or the sponsor of the event give you the confidence that you've done what you can. And then really it comes down to personal responsibility and personal choice. Don't go someplace if you're sick, you know, and you can't, you can't help it if you don't know you're ill. I get that's the danger, but we can't, we can't Clorox ourselves to the, we, we just, we can't do it. That's why we can't drink the water when we go to Mexico. (laughs) <laughs> they have better immune systems than we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, we could go off on that whole yeah. thing. But um, yeah, virtual meetings, I've been learning a ton because that's how I'm having to pivot with everything. Like what events can I take and do a virtual event? Um, how can we do virtual fundraising? Um you know, we're trying all these different things and I don't know that we'll find a perfect formula, but yeah, things aren't going to be the same. That breaks my heart, mm-hmm. but we have to, we have to be able to bend with it, flex with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't wait to, for things to get rolling again. I miss planning. Like I'm so sad. Some of my favorite projects are just <laughs> not happening right now. And I'm just, mm. but it's right now we're embracing the space, right? I, yeah. again, like today, I'm thinking I, I, I would have been on a plane, you know, six out of the next eight weeks. And now I'm home and I have the space to go through my things, grieve my husband, pack up my life, dream about new things, you know, yeah. and that that's healthy. I'm embracing that as a gift. And I'm sure you will have many listeners that can come on and tell you what a gift COVID has been as crazy as this all is, it is a mm-hmm. gift. Yeah. That is so we did um, my husband's uh, service on Facebook live because we have friends, you know, all around the world. And um, so at church, the church we go to, they didn't have a Facebook live or the capabilities to do that. And his service was on February 8th. So being an event planner, you know, I had to, I produced like, <laughs> it was a great event, Heather, I'm just saying. So I brought in my, you know, my production team, my top audiovisual guys, everything. And when they realized they didn't have the capabilities to stream it, they taught them how to do it. Here, church guys, here's how you stream something live on Facebook. And I made a little investment in making sure they had the right equipment and all the things were there. Well, look at this. Just a few weeks later, that whole sanctuary is shut down and they had to use all that equipment to do their live streaming for church service. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. What a gift. What a gift. <laughs> if that, you know, I, all of us, I know will have so many knock on stories because this tragedy happened, this and this and this happened, which never could happen. There are all so many good things. Just keeping our head in that, that pos- positive space my daughter was able to fly over on Christmas Eve and, and be with me before Lance passed away. And we just sat there and we're still writing him this whole page of miracle after miracle after miracle that God has done through Lance's really tragic and untimely death. He was only 58 um, to today. I mean, just this whole lineage, Heather, I could, I could sit here and, talk to you for hours like I said it is a month-long movie of the week special (laughs) all the things that God's brought our family through um so I think encouraging people like you've done with your your COVID episodes just encouraging people to find find things to be thankful for 
um, there literally are people starving, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're talking to our friends in, in Kenya and in India, all over India, where these decisions that people are making are killing people and they're not dying from the virus. They're dying from starvation. Yeah. They're dying from fear. They're dying because they are hopeless. And we in the States, we just, it's hard for us to have more of a global perspective. Katie, it was so good to meet you. And I definitely, I I hope we don't lose contact. I um, really, really enjoyed our talk and um, good, good luck with the, with the move and, and all of that. I know that's are never fun uh, to have to pack up stuff, but you know, I, I hope that it's a show. <laughs> I hope that, you know, uh, you have a good time with your friends today and just a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad that, that, that just the stars lying and God connected us, uh, in this way. So me too, Heather, thank you. And just God bless you in your ministry. I'm really excited to see where you'll go with this. It's a needed, um, uh, connection for people and your experience. I know it's going to bless a lot of, um, career seekers. So thank you so much for your time. So to make sure that you don't miss out on next week's episode, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get notified. Come on and join the conversation over on Instagram and follow me at Ms. Heather B. Dot or at Polka Dot Desk. We are here for you and look forward to bringing you more information about career, customers, and community. This podcast is brought to you by the Polka Dot Desk.